Hello, this is Father Neil here and welcome to the May 31st episode of the podcast Catechism with Father Neil. Today we'll be looking at numbers 1168 through 1178 of the Catechism. 1168, the liturgical year. Beginning with the Easter Triduum as its source of light, the new age of of the resurrection fills the whole liturgical year with its brilliance. Gradually on either side of the source, the year is transfigured by the liturgy. It really is a year of the Lord's favour. The economy of salvation is at work within the framework of time. But since its fulfilment in the Passover of Jesus and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the culmination of history is anticipated as a foretaste and the kingdom of God enters into our time. 1169. Therefore Easter is not simply one feast among others, but the feast of feasts and the solemnity of solemnities. Just as the Eucharist is the sacrament of sacraments, the great sacrament, St. Athanasius calls Easter the Great Sunday, and the Eastern Churches call Holy Week the Great Week, the mystery of the resurrection in which Christ crushed death permeates with its powerful energy our old time until all is subjected to him. 1170. At the Council of Nicaea in 325, all the churches agreed that Easter, the Christian Passover, should be celebrated on the Sunday following the first full moon, the 14th of Nisan, after the vernal equinox, because of different methods of calculating the 14th day of the month of Nisan. The date of Easter in the Western and Eastern churches is not always the same. For this reason, the churches are currently seeking an agreement in order once again to celebrate the day of the Lord's resurrection on a common date. 1171. In the liturgical year, the various aspects of the one Paschal mystery unfold. This is also the case with the cycle of feasts surrounding the mystery of the Incarnation, Annunciation, Christmas, Epiphany. They commemorate the beginning of our salvation and communicate to us the first fruits of the Paschal mystery. The Sanctural in the Liturgical Year, 1172. In celebrating the annual cycle of the mysteries of Christ, Holy Church honours the Blessed Mary, Mother of God, with a special love. She is inseparably linked with the saving work of her Son. In her, the Church admires and exalts the most excellent fruits of redemption and joyfully contemplates, as in a faultless image, that which she herself desires and hopes wholly to be. 1173. When the Church keeps the memorials of martyrs and other saints during the annual cycle, she proclaims the Paschal mystery in those who have suffered and have been glorified with Christ. She proposes them to the faithful as examples, who draw all men to the Father through Christ, and through, the, and through their merits she begs for God's favours. The Liturgy of the Hours, 1174. The mystery of Christ his incarnation and Passover, which we celebrate in the Eucharist, especially at the Sunday Assembly, permeates and transfigures the time of each day. Through the celebration of the Liturgy of the Hours, the Divine Office, this celebration, faithful to the apostolic exhortations to pray constantly, is so devised that the whole course of the day and night is made holy by the praise of God. In this public prayer of the Church, the faithful, clergy, religious and lay people 
exercised the royal priesthood of the baptized, celebrating in the form approved by the church, the liturgy of the hours is truly the voice of the bride herself addressed to her bridegroom. It is the very prayer which Christ himself, together with his body, addresses to the Father. 1175. The liturgy of the hours is intended to become the prayer of the whole people of God. In it, Christ himself continues his priestly work through his church. Her members participate according to their own place in the church and the circumstances of their lives. Priests devoted to the pastoral ministry, because they are called to remain diligent in prayer and the service of the word, religious by the charism of their consecrated lives, all the faithful as much as possible, pastors of souls, should see to it that the principal hours, especially Vespers, are celebrated in common in churches on Sundays and on more solemn feasts. The laity too are encouraged to recite the divine office, either with the priests or among themselves or even individually. 1176. The celebration of the Liturgy of the Hours demands not only harmonising the voice and the praying heart, but also a deeper understanding of the liturgy and of the Bible, especially of the Psalms. 1177. The hymns and litanies of the Liturgy of the Hours integrate the prayer of the Psalms into the age of the Church, expressing the symbolism of the time of day and the liturgical season or the feast being celebrated. Moreover, the reading from the Word of God at each hour with the subsequent responses or troparia, and readings from the fathers and spiritual masters at certain hours reveal more deeply the meaning of the mystery being celebrated, assist in understanding the psalms and prepare for silent prayer. The Lexio Divina, where the word of God is so read and meditated that it becomes prayer, is thus rooted in the liturgical celebration. 1178. The Liturgy of the Hours which is like an extension of the Eucharistic celebration, does not exclude, but rather in a complementary way, calls forth the various devotions of the people of God, especially adoration and worship of the Blessed Sacrament. Okay, very well. So this um, section that we looked at today has got, um, uh, I suppose, a number of parts. The first thing is this idea of the liturgical year. The liturgical year that starts with the celebration of Easter. Easter is the centre. In the early church, they celebrated Sunday and they celebrated Easter. This was what they celebrated. There were no feast days. There was no particular celebration of Christmas. There wasn't even a Good Friday. There was only Easter and the weekly Easter. So Easter was like a big Sunday or the Sunday was like a small Easter. But in a sense, that was all they celebrated. And they celebrated through the week as well. But it was this seven-day cycle kept on going and there were huge uh, problems to agree the date of Easter. Unfortunately, it's not fully agreed yet. There are still some disagreements between uh, some of the Eastern churches and the Catholic Church or the Western churches uh, over the date of Easter and we need to try to to fix this. But there were huge disagreements over the centuries. It was one of the reasons the Irish Church nearly entered into a schism from the rest of the Western Church at one stage was because of the, the, the celebration of Easter. That in the, the again, the, the, this is hundreds of years ago, but that they had this uh, other uh, way to calculate Easter that was different. And uh, as I say, it was this was settled in the Synod of Whitby in the north of England. But um, this idea of what is the date of Easter that was so important in the early church to celebrate Easter well, because in the early church, so many people believed that Christ would come back on Easter night. And you were meant to be celebrating the church all night long. So that when he came back, he would find you celebrating. Uh, 
And if you got the date wrong, you'd have spent all last Sunday, all last uh, Saturday night into Sunday, celebrating Easter. And if you got the date wrong and Christ came a week later, you were out of luck. So it was something very vital for them. But that this yearly celebration of Easter is the heart of the Christian year. And on to this then goes the other feasts of the, the, the Lord. Things like uh, Ascension Thursday is very easy to get. If you celebrate Easter on a Sunday and you count 40 days, what the uh, uh, as the scripture says, you arrive at a Thursday. And if you count 50 days, you arrive at a Sunday, which is Pentecost Sunday, because Pentecost means 50th. And Ascension Thursday is the 40th day. Unfortunately, now sometimes Ascension Thursday is now Ascension Thursday Sunday. But we won't even go there. Don't get me started. But uh, that this is how we, um, that, that, that the year moves out from Easter. So if these feasts go in one direction, then in the other direction, you get the 40 days beforehand, you get the time of preparation. That's how you kind of get Tash Wednesday. Uh, you get, obviously, Holy Thursday, Palm Sunday, uh, Good Friday, moving back from Easter. But Easter is the centre of everything. Even, uh, again, I don't have time here to go into it, but some of the historians calculating the date of Christmas, one of the, the, the theories of for calculating the day of Christmas is also that it's related to Easter, um, but as I say, it's a very, very, con it's a very convoluted theory, but it makes sense, but I won't get into it here. But that everything is on the fulcrum of Easter. Then you get the other feasts of Our Lady. You get the feasts of the saints. And all these are building upon this liturgical year that is centered on the two poles of Easter and Sunday. This is when we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is the main celebration. Everything else is an aspect of this. Everything else is a mirror of this. Everything else is to bring us to celebrate the resurrection. Then, uh, again, the other section that we were listening to today, I, I'd like to be able to devote a full day to it, but anyway, the system that we had uh, broke it this way. And uh, so we have the Liturgy of the Hours. The Liturgy of the Hours is one of the most beautiful forms of prayer that the Catholic Church has. And unfortunately for centuries, it has been alienated from the people of God. That it became the prayer of priests and monks. And I'm not saying the priests and monks shouldn't pray the Liturgy of the Hours, they should. But the duty to pray the Liturgy of the Hours comes from baptism. Not from monastic profession, not from becoming a nun, not from being ordained a priest. That sure there's an obligation there, but there is an obligation that should be on every Christian. If you've been baptised, you should be praying the Liturgy of the Hours. That it's a very beautiful way to, to centre your day on prayer. And that each one of us is called to centre our day on prayer. Again, it's not that you've got to spend every hour of the day praying. It's not this, but the day has to be broken. And in our society, it's quite interesting that the followers of, of Islam, the Muslims, are able to do this. And because they insist on it, people people uh, respect this. They allow them to do it. But uh, with Christians, if a Christian says, no, I need to have uh, a longer lunch break on this Thursday because it's Ascension Thursday, I need to go to Mass, it's, it's crazy. It's uh, the end of the world. It can't be done. You're old-fashioned. Why do you need to do this? And uh, no, the Christians need to make time for prayer. Again, we're not, the liturgy hours isn't as um, tight, shall we say, as the Muslim Islamic prayer that has to be at particular times of the day. 
bang on the clock. That there's uh, more freedom in this. You can pray in the morning, you pray in the evening, you pray in the middle of the day, you pray at night. But you find the times that make sense for you. So if there's a night prayer and you are going to bed because you go to bed very early at 9, you can pray at 8.30. If, on the other hand, you, uh, you're you working the late shift and you come home at 3 o'clock in the morning, you can pray it then. So it's meant to be inserted into your day that there are not particularly long prayers, that there are a few pages, each of them. Unfortunately, the breviary tends to be a bit off-putting to people. This book, The Divine Office, The Liturgy of the Hours, it's sometimes called the breviary as well, tends to be a bit off-putting because it's kind of a bit unwieldy and difficult to use. Although today also it has to be admitted that the apps that they have for it, like iBrevery, like Universalis, the different apps that are there that you can have on your phone do all the work for you. Some people also say that to buy the full set of the books is very expensive and that might be the case, but also it's worth the investment. To invest in prayer is good, but that this, again, I don't know what else to say, I'm not going to uh, get too involved in the in this section on the Liturgy of the Hours, but just to say to you that if you have never met it, think about it. Think about it as a way to be Christian because the Christian has to be in continual contact with the Word of God. And the Liturgy of the Hours is especially uh, a repetition of the Word of God, a repetition especially of the Psalms. That it goes to the Psalms again and again. And that this is what makes us Christian, by meditating on the Word of God, by this image that the fathers of the church use of the cow chewing the cud, this continual meditation, chewing over the Word of God, being in the Word of God. This is what allows us to live the liturgy well. Indeed, the liturgy of the hours is a liturgy. That The liturgy isn't just the sacraments. There are other types of liturgy, and this is the main example of another type of liturgy, and again, people don't pay enough heed to it. But it basically is rooted in the practice of Jesus himself. The Jewish people have their day broken up with prayers, especially the prayer of the Psalms. This is how our Lord lived his life, continually praying the Psalms. And this is how the Christians are invited to live. So really, this is a way to unite our lives to the life of Christ. So again, all I'm saying with this is think about it. Google it, take a look at it, and uh, consider it as a way of prayer for you. Not that the other forms of prayer, the Rosary or the Eucharistic Adoration or Lexio Divina, or these things are all fine. But consider also this official form of prayer that the Catholic Church has, that as I say, it can be a little difficult to break into, but that it's well worth the effort. So very well. So um, tomorrow we're going to continue, and tomorrow we look at numbers 11 79 to 1186. God bless.